You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Well, it's Friday. I poured a beer. This thing comes out on Saturday, and I'm going to apologize right now for the possibility of me slurring my speech because on one of the other podcasts that we do here at the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, Southside Pod, uh, I went to go interview a distillery in Thornton, Illinois today, and they could only meet at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so I've been drinking since then. So this should be a very interesting show, Ed. How are you? I'm good, but leaving me standing outside your house for six hours without <laughs> access to the bar wasn't real polite. And then you didn't even bring me anything from the distillery. I told so. you to come. You should have come with. I, I, you, yeah. know, you were like three o'clock really early to start drinking. Well, you, you should have been there. But then, then again, you could be the stabilizing force on this episode of Socks in the Basement. Brought to you by the fine folks over at Family Waterproofing Solutions. They're family-owned, they're veteran-owned, just a great group of people covering northern Illinois, northwest Indiana. They give a portion of their proceeds from every job to veteran and first responder organizations. They are highly rated. Uh, anytime you look up you know, people's opinions on them, reviews on them, Better Business Bureau, you name it, they are beloved. They do a great job. Anything foundational, you're worried about some water, you want to have the sump pump checked out, window wells, whatever, give them a call and there's money off if you mention Socks in the Basement. The phone number is right on our logo. You can see it right there or just go to FAMWS.com. There's so much to talk about. Don Cooper lost his mind on 670 to score. We're going to touch on that at some point and I'm going to let you in on something that you didn't know about Coop. Dad got the email finally that explains how tickets are going to work for the first homestand. Oh, okay. And I told him, send it over because I want to talk about it on the show. Yeah. So so we actually have an idea of how this is going to work now. This is good. Oh, yeah. I like that. Oh, yeah. So this is, he, he got the email. Now, every season ticket holder is going to be a little different based upon how long they've been there, what kind of ticket plan they had. But he's partial season tickets. He's been with them for, he was with them for a while. He took a break for a couple years during the rebuild. We've talked about this. Dad was like, why am I spending all this money for a triple A AAA team? Like it aggravated him. He's like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'll come back when they look like they're going to get good. So then he got, he came back a couple of years ago. So they sent this thing to him, basically outlining what we already know. But if you're curious about it, I kind of just want to break it down real quick for you. Uh, the White Sox at 20% capacity, and they are going to only be dealing with the games of the first two series, that first homestand, Kansas City and Cleveland. From the 8th of April through the 15th of April. Don't forget, on the 10th of April, Cork and Carry at the park. If you have a ticket or not for the game, come on out and join us. Beautiful place. Good friends. Good people. Watch party. And we're doing two hours of pregame before the thing starts for Socks in the Basement. So make sure that you're out there. You get to join us. We're giving the Socks in the Basement trucker hat out. We should have a great time on the 10th at Cork and Carry at the park at 33rd and Princeton, whether or not you have tickets. But to get tickets, Ed... This is how they're doing it, and I found this very interesting. First off, you have two ways to get tickets if you're a season ticket holder. One, buy the entire homestand. Buy seven games, as many seats as you want to, up to six. But you get the same seat, and you're on the hook for the price for all of those tickets. So you better be sure you're going to every one of those. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're taking it on. Yeah, you're taking it on, and that gives you first choice. The people willing to buy all seven games right off the bat and buy a pod of seats, which can get up to six seats in total. Those folks get first choice. 
and they have a time where they can log into a portal basically and make their selections through their account with the White Sox. So those that, let's say, have been season ticket holders longer get to log in, let's say, maybe at 9 o'clock in the morning. Those that haven't spent as many years with the White Sox may be logging in at noon. Like, I know what his time is, and I would imagine there's people in front of him and people behind him. That's going to happen on St. Patrick's Day. Or at least for him, he's able to log in and buy tickets if he wants to. But he's like, I'm not buying all seven games. Like, he's a partial season ticket holder. Like, he's not, he's like, I'm not buying all seven. That's a big commitment to have to say you're going to go to all seven games to start the season. I don't know too many people who would be doing that anyway. There are people that are going to do it. But, but well, that, I, of course, but I don't know too many of them. Those people are definitely getting seats. Well, sure. I, uh, yeah. I, I, anybody would sit there and say, you know, well, hey, if you're going to buy 42 seats total over the first two homestands, sure, we'll give you dibs. I mean, that's like walking into a store and saying, you know, I'll take all the crates that you have of this one instead of saying I just want the one off the shelf. Right. And those are the people that will probably end up with opening day. Like, basically, they're telling you if you want to go to opening day, right. oh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. buying the whole homestand. Like, you might get opening day if you don't, but you're probably going to have to buy the entire homestand to go to opening day. Yeah, well, and, and that, that makes sense, that that those guys, the ones that are going to commit are the ones that are going to be there for, for the opener. So then, the next thing that they do is a couple days later, for him, it's on Tuesday, March 23rd. So again, there might be people that are doing this earlier. And, you know, this might be starting earlier on different days for other season ticket holders at different times. But he has a time and a date where then he is finally able to jump on with his login and he can buy single games of whatever's left. Now, he he isn't guaranteed to get the same seat. So basically, he's he's like, well, I want to go to this game, but the only thing that's available is in the upper deck. I want to go to this game or right. something down the line. Like that's that's what he's doing. And he's able to buy them individually with his account. So that, that's how they're going to divide things up. And then after that, there might be something for general admission but I doubt it. When I look at this, I, th- I think to myself, the White Sox are not anticipating uh, anybody other than the season ticket holders getting those first 8,000 seats sold. Well, and that makes absolute sense. And I would guess if you were to check in with all the other teams that aren't doing 100% capacity. So everybody except for the Rangers? Everybody except for the Rangers. <laughs> um, you would find out that they're doing something very similar because that's if you think about it in a normal year when they're not limiting the, the amount of people in. Season ticket holders are always going to get first crack at stuff because of the ones that are are committing to more than somebody who's just buying one game somewhere along the line. The good news is for the general admission folks that at some point you would figure that we're going to go beyond the 20% capacity. And, and as the season goes on, as we get towards the, you know, the second half and towards the playoffs, I would think that they're going to go beyond 8,000 people and they're going to be able to bring more people in. Right. And, and, and you know, it all makes sense to me. Uh, there are some weird things. I'm going to take a moment here to point out some of the weird rules that they have. And these are clearly rules that had to be put in so they could get approval for opening up. You know, now when you say, when you say weird, it's not like send me a pair of your used underwear to put into a uh, vending machine in Tokyo kind of weird. No, no, no. I mean, I'm talking like the idea that when you pull up in your car, (laughs) your car will be six feet away from other cars. Okay. My car cannot catch COVID-19 as far as I know. It's in there that there's going to be a parking space between everybody. Depending on what section you get, that's the kind of food you're getting. So that I find that very interesting as well. 
So, like, if there's something you really like, you better make sure you have seats near where that concession stand is. So you're in the hundred level. You can't do the hundred level concourse all the way around. You're no, stuck you, in your th- section. It looks like it looks like there's going to be checkpoints. Really? Let's say you want to go visit the guys from the 108, right? You better be in 108. You better be in the Goose Island section or the section on the other side of them. Like it looks like they are just making the entire ballpark into little sections, and you may run into like like checkpoints where you're only allowed in this one part of the lower deck or this one part of the upper deck. And then when you order your food, you're going to also have to deal with whatever the selection is for that part of the ballpark. Which is not necessarily a terrible thing. I mean, you know, unless you're in the one part of the ballpark where they don't have anything, you know. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. The craziest rule that I see in here, and this one I I just laughed at, was um, was the no bags rule. You can bring a small clutch purse, a medical bag, or a diaper bag, but no other kind of bags like backpacks, because we all know that COVID climbs into your backpack right. and lurks there for days yes, waiting to pounce. <laughs> my, my son plays hockey, and he's not allowed to bring his hockey equipment bag into the, to the hockey rink these days, because somehow the bag, that's where the COVID lurks. Overall, it sounds like they have a good system, and it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I mean, I would rather have a few rules that you're sitting there rolling your eyes at than not have anybody in the stands. I agree with you on that one. And I guess if they are going to be overly cautious, making sure people aren't walking around catching COVID coughs into a bag and sealing it. Right. Only to unleash it on unsuspecting other fans is an important I'm safety ne- tip. I'm never going to understand Egon. the bag thing. Uh, but you know what? Bags get a bad rap. Anytime something bad happens in this country. Yeah. Bags are the first one to get the get the boot. We yeah. are we are anti-bag in this country. We, for we sure. don't like bags. We definitely don't. No. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Bomb offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches, always free of preservatives, and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry, cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. Whether it's physical activity or off-season stress, Creaky Bone's going to help you out. Use that promo code BASEMENT, 20% off your order, right now at creakybone.com. Let's talk about the Cooper thing. I think a lot of people know about it. A lot of White Sox fans are aware of the fact that Don Cooper was on 670 to score the other day uh, and gave an interview that... I, you and I have both been on been in radio before. You've been a program director and a and an actual on air personality. Uh, I was a morning guy for years. Now in our older age, we just do the podcast. You're an attorney, but you fall back on some of the stuff while you're listening to that thing, and it perks your ears up. And yeah. first of all, that sounded like a very difficult interview, and I don't want to say train wreck because it's going to make people feel like I'm picking on the score. I'm not picking on the score here. No, but no, that not was at all. hard not to listen all. to. It made me uncomfortable and it made me feel like I wasn't when I first heard he was going to be on the score, I was upset because we were told he was going to be our guest on our 250th episode. We had talked with Coop's people and he was going to be our guest. He was going to speak with Socks in the Basement first 
Ed remembers when I called him. I'm like, we're going to get Don Cooper before anybody. He's like, what? I'm like, talk to some people. We got it. It's all locked in. And then like three days before, there's a reason why we said we had to push the guests back because Coop had a medical yeah, procedure. Which we understood. And was like, I'll get to you. I'll get to you guys soon. And we're like, cool. And then we didn't hear from him again. Next thing you know, he's on the score. And at first I felt regret and I was upset. I was like, man, this was going to be us. This is going to blow up. This is really cool. And then I listened to him and I was like, thank God I wasn't his first interview. No, because it would not have gone. It would not have gone well. (laughs) It would not have. I I just, I've known you for too long and I heard what Coop was saying and I know how you would have responded and it would not have gone well. Do you think they were being restrained Coop, Coop comes on. Let's catch everybody up. Coop comes on 670 to score. He, he was ready to go. Like he had a bad phone connection when you listen to it. And he's trying to go into a speech right away. And they have to tell him, well, you know, Danny Parkins and Matt Spiegel are telling him we got a bad connection. But if you listen real closely to the interview and you can get it on demand, he's already going into his rant off the first question. Oh, yeah. He just he just launched into it. He couldn't wait to say what he said on the show. So then he gets back on. He makes a bad joke and then he and then he immediately like launches into his thing again and he keeps going with this. All I'm going to say on the matter is sometimes you have a lot of respect for people. You care about people. You care for people. And then you find out that they don't care for you. He then goes on to say that no less than three more times in the interview, that same speech, but continues to say but I don't want anybody drawing conclusions off of that. And I don't want to say anything bad. You said the bad thing when you said that coop, because immediately anybody with a brain, especially with the respect thing and the way that he seemed to be like, well, Tony LaRusso is a great guy. He's an old guy, but I'm an old guy. He's aggravated that Jerry Reinsdorf after, after Don Cooper was in the organization, it seems obvious to me, Don Cooper was in the organization for 32 years and found out there was another old guy that Jerry liked better. And he was cast aside. And he's upset about it. It, it. it comes across. I mean, Coop came across as a spurned lover is what it was. It's, it sounds like a bitter divorce of an old couple that had been together a long time between him and the Sox. And he kept saying, he kept trying to say, look, I'm hurt, but I'm over the hurt. But he isn't over the hurt. If he went on the, if he went on the radio and it was the first thing he said, he's not over it, Ed. Yeah. You came on the radio to say that you're hurt, but you're over the hurt. And, and we're, we're, my point about how it would have gone and your question about whether or not uh, Spiegel and Parkins were being restrained on all of that. You know, I think as I heard them trying to question, they were trying to figure out what this was and, and why he was acting like this and trying to get him to expound on it. But they were trying to get him so he wouldn't just hang up the phone, I think, is, is kind of how I felt they were doing it. They were probing at him, but they knew that they had him. They know he's a prickly guy. They know he was hot under the collar on this particular day, and they were trying to make the best out of it. I don't think they were pulling punches because they were trying to be kid gloves with Coop. I think that they were trying to get him to answer their questions without basically making it so that he would walk away. This is the program director's perspective that Ed has from the time that he used to do that. Let me give you the interviewer. Let me give you the morning guy interviewer perspective. And I'm going to sound very cynical here, but at the very end of the interview, there's this back and forth about how Coop is saying, maybe I should work for you. And he brings up Mitch Rosen, the program director. And then they do this whole back and forth. And the cynic in me wonders, had that already been discussed? You know how many times we used to like introduce a new person to the radio station. We would try to make it sound like it was organic, but it wasn't. 
Is there a right. reason that they didn't press him? Because here's the thing. I kept thinking to myself, if he's not a member of the White Sox organization anymore and he's not in baseball anymore, what value does he hold that you're afraid he's going to hang up the phone on you? Because if he, if you actually press him and say, look, Coop, this is what we want to talk about. What's the worst thing you're going to do? He's going to hang up. You're already a buzz. You already have everybody listening because they want to hear Don Cooper hang up, right? Right. So there was part of me that was like, if he would have given me that interview, I would have pressed him on it. Like what you're saying, you're, you keep saying that it doesn't matter what, you know, you don't care anymore. You're not upset about it. But it's the first thing you said, Coop. You're clearly upset. He might have gotten mad. He might have sworn at me. And he might have hung up on the phone. But I was waiting for that and I didn't get it. And again, I want to reiterate, I've said this already. I'm not trying to slight the two guys that interviewed him. It's a very delicate thing to try to get on the phone with somebody who's angry and you're trying to figure out how do I get the most out of it without him hanging up the phone. But I, on the other hand, there's also part of me that's like at some point, I wanted him to be pressed a little bit more. You know, I wanted to know who is he really angry with? Because I, I, I feel like if he got pressed, he might have said it. Unless he feels like he'll never be invited back for like a celebration later. It's weird to me that everybody was so constrained when he's not part of the organization anymore and he's angry, right? He's not part of the organization and he's angry. Let loose, Coop. You, you, you yell about everybody else. Why, why not just let loose on this one? That's what I wanted to hear. But what, I, but what I can glean from it is he's really angry that they got rid of him and he thinks after 32 years, he was unfireable. Don Cooper thought he was unfireable. Uh, and that's, isn't that the bottom line? And 99% of this country, Ed, would be lucky to have a job with the security of Don Cooper for 32 years and make the money he made over that 32 years and go to the ballpark and do it in the first place. And he's acting like somehow he was cheated in life. And I don't get it. Not even the money, but I, I mean, just the fact that he lasted 32 years with the same organization. There's not too many coaches that last that. It's incredibly, incredibly rare for an assistant coach, a pitching coach to go through what four managers he was a part of. And he made sure that he took a he took a swing at Ozzie Guillen in that. Oh, oh yeah, I'm convinced that the whole Ricky Renteria is the most organized. Ricky Renteria, the praise for Renteria again. Yeah, he's his most recent manager, but there's there's always been this thing between him and Ozzie, and that, I felt like that was thrown out there to make sure that everybody knew he thinks Renteria was better than Ozzie Guillen. Oh yeah, and that's and that's the thing about this, and and so you know the. the you know the the restraint there. Now, is there something where this was the the soft pilot, the backdoor pilot episode of the Don Cooper show on the score? I, I don't know that, and and we'll find that out. If I think it'll be interesting to watch. I know Mitch Rosen follows this show, and he may not follow me anymore after I just said that because maybe I've blown the cover off of this, or maybe I'm <laughs> right. just a crazy conspiracy theorist. But we used to play these games when we were on the radio where we would act like it was impromptu and it really wasn't. And I keep trying to figure out why didn't they press him more? Cause what did they have to lose? Well, and, and so there's the question is one, is it something where they're doing that for intriguing purposes because Cooper is going to come back and he's going to be a regular part of their show. He's going to be a regular part of the score or something like that. And that's a possibility. The other possibility is that, uh, you know, if he airs, if, if they get Cooper on the show to air Dirty Laundry, does that impact their relationship with the White Sox? They are not the flagship station anymore. They are the Cubs station. Uh, you know, does that cause them problems with what is going to be the bigger draw in town for a while? And, you know, th there's also just a stylistic thing. And that's where I get back to I know how you are versus I don't really know, other than having listened to them, I don't really know how, how you know, uh, Parkinson Spiegel are uh, stylistically. 
but I know that you would be aggressive with him and trying to get him to name names and get specific, and, and, and he would have hated you. He would have hated you. He would have <laughs> sworn would've at me. You. He would have yelled at me. Oh, we yeah. would have played that sound clip forever. Like, part of me wanted it, and the other part of me would have been like... It would be the new intro to the show. You know, Ed, one of the things I'm really excited about is Court and Carey at the Park, April the 10th. We're going to be out there opening weekend. It's the Saturday game before the 110 start time for the first two hours leading up to it. A pregame party and recording of Socks in the Basement in front of folks that want to come out and hang with us at Cork and Carey at the Park. 33rd in Princeton. A slew of guests stopping in. I hear Scott Merkin's going to make an appearance. George Hoffman's talking about stopping by. The guys from the 108. A lot of the people that were going to be going to Socks in the Basement Fest just changing their plans and coming to Cork and Carry at the park on the 10th of April opening weekend. We're going to do pregame. We're going to record a show in front of the audience, and then we're going to have a watch party. They got those big windows they open up. I bet you it's going to be a nice day, fresh air blowing through the place. The cork with the pork. That is a burger with pulled pork on it. Cheddar, coleslaw, pickles. One of my favorites, the Chicago. It's a burger with mozzarella Italian beef and sausage on top of it with sweet or hot peppers. They are currently carrying a big selection of beers. They got a great bar in there. And never forget, they are your home base for Saks viewing parties. You can actually rent the place out. 3258 South Princeton Avenue. We are going to be there on April the 10th. If you want to learn more about Cork and Carry at the Park, go to corkandcarryatthepark.com. And now back to Coop. Coop wants you to know he's pissed off. He wants you to know that he is mad at the White Sox organization and that he's got some people in that organization that are really, really on his list right now. And he lost respect for certain people. And he is But then he also wants lover. you to know that he doesn't care. But he loves them. And he doesn't want to say anything bad about anybody because he's taking the high road. And he was trying to play both sides before putting a comma in the middle of his sentence. And the, like he reminds me, you know what he reminded me of, Ed? He reminded me of when I look at my five-year-old son, Nicholas, my youngest one, and I go, Nick, you're not getting dessert unless you pick up your dirty clothes and throw them down to the laundry. And his response is, you don't care about me. Yes, right? The kids do that stuff, right? <laughs> they, you know, like, hey, here's the deal. You got to do this thing that everybody's got to do. You don't love me anymore. Right. And what then the he keeps bringing up, then, he, about? then Coop starts bringing up the whole thing of like, I, I know numbers. I, I'm into sabermetrics. I, I like that kind of stuff. Like, like you could tell that the conversation was had that says, we don't think that you mesh with what we want to do. And that really aggravated him. And look, Don Cooper is an accomplished pitching coach. Very much so. But everybody has to move on at some point in their lives. Like at some point, the game passes everybody by. It works that way with actors and actresses, and radio personalities, and TV personalities. Like, David Letterman's on Netflix now and not on network TV. Like, eventually, it ends for everybody. Conan O'Brien's hysterical. He ended up on TBS. You know? I mean, like, it ends for everybody at some point. And the idea that he thought he was going to be the pitching coach of the White Sox until the day he died, and they were going to bury him in the bullpen and put the headstone back there, is mind-boggling to me. That's what it feels like he thought, though. Yeah, and and it's not even that the game has necessarily passed Coop by or, or he wouldn't have been capable of doing what Tony LaRusse's administration wants to do. The handwriting for Don Cooper was on the wall when Lucas Giolito was the worst starter in the major leagues 
went back to Ethan Katz, who is his pitching coach in his past, and said, fix me, not Coop, Ethan Katz, fix me. And he comes back, and he is now the Lucas Giolito that we know and love and, and hitters fear. And he brought that up. He brought that up unsolicited in the interview. Did you notice yeah, that? They didn't did. even ask him about that. And in the middle of one of his rants, he brought up, I don't care if you go see somebody. You want to go outside the organization and get something fixed, and you come back and you're better? It's great with me, but I'm I'm the psychologist and the theologist, and I'm all the ologies. And, like, and they started laughing at him, but that was something he couldn't wait. He wanted to make sure he hit on it aggravated him that not only did Lucas Giolito figure something out with somebody else, but then that guy ended up with the job and he was out. He's grinding his teeth right now. I think he lives in Tennessee and he's angry. And then he was like, I'm going to go on Chicago radio and I'm going to express my anger, but I want everybody to know that I'm not actually angry and I'm taking the high road and I'm not going to name names, but what I'm going to say is going to implicate the fact that I feel hurt. And I think when you listen to it, and when you and I both listen to it from the perspective of people that have listened to real train wreck interviews and been a part of them in our lives, okay, when you listen to it, he was hard to control. He was like a he was like a like a bull that when they open up the gate, you got to hang on for eight seconds. That's what he was. Okay, he was like he was like he was at a rodeo, and you didn't know where he was going to go, and he wanted to argue with you because he wanted to make it. He wanted to tell you, "Oh, you're the people that want to ask me these questions. This is the media trying to form like this opinion about me." But no, Coop, you came on the first thing you said. You threw it was a barb. You threw a barb and said they didn't care about me. I cared about them more than they cared about me. And that's that's the problem when somebody has an agenda when they come on. And the agenda is to air a specific thing that the interviewers don't necessarily expect them to want to air. Um, you know, if you're calling Don Cooper, like when we were going to talk to Coop and you mentioned that he was, he was going to come on the show, the things that I was thinking about, and I'm sure the things you were thinking about were, let's talk about his time with the team. Let's, let's see, does he have any opinions on what they're going to do now, even though he's gone? Uh, let's talk about 2005. Let's talk about all you know, all, all the the good stuff in the past, and and how he is this really you know very legendary pitching coach to the extent that such a thing exists. He is a legendary pitching coach of the Chicago White Sox. But if he had come on and jumped right into, they don't care about me as much as I cared about them. And do you have any idea how much it hurts to have people that you love and care about turn their back on you? That is like kicking open the doors and just starting to scream gibberish at you. And you don't really know where to take it from there. I mean, that's from an interviewer standpoint, from a radio standpoint, from, from, you know, a journalistic standpoint, that's a really hard thing to deal with. Oh, I mean, listen, first of all, like I've said, this is the third time I'm saying it, nothing against those guys who had to interview them. That sounds like that no, was no, a no, hard no, interview. And I, and I, I don't know if I would have wanted that interview. That, that, that sounds like a, that sounds like a pain in the butt where you get off and you go, how did we come out in that? Was that good? Was that worth it? I feel dirty. I need a drink. Like that's yeah. kind of how you feel when you come out of an interview like that. And I'm sure they felt that way a little bit. Now I want to give you a little perspective though, about Don Cooper. He was for 32 years in the White Sox organization. And in 2002, he becomes the pitching coach and he spends 18 years as the pitching coach of the major league squad for the Chicago White Sox. I found this article from July 23rd, 2002, when he was hired and it's about Nardi Contreras the pitching coach that was fired when Don Cooper was brought in midway through the season. And the actual title is bitter Contreras is out and bitter is in quotes because Contreras refused to talk to people. And Jerry Manuel, here's the quote in here from 2002. 
It's, here's what it says. It says, Contreras didn't hang around to defend himself, but manager Jerry Manuel, one of his closest friends, described Contreras as, quote, unquote, bitter over the decision. Guess what, Don? Somebody lost their job and was bitter for you to get 18 years. Yeah. Take a breath, big man. All right? You had a hell of a run. You, you got to do something that most people can't do. You have the respect of so many people. This looks bad. Don't do this. You know, maybe it's a setup for something that he's doing with the score. Maybe it's not. Maybe he was just, he didn't realize what he was going to say when he got on the microphone. And that's why it sounded so awkward because they were shocked by the way that he went with it. Maybe not. Maybe the rumor that I've heard that he's writing a book is true. Maybe it's not. But I don't know if we're done hearing from Don Cooper and it's going to be a really bad look when I see Ethan Katz doing more with the staff that he had in spring training than he ever did with these guys. Even Katz has already fixed Lucas Giolito. He's getting praise from all the guys in there. And I saw Reynaldo Lopez look good again. So Don, if you're going to pop up in Chicago every once in a while and criticize the White Sox, this might not be the time to do it because they're going to be very, very good. And you're going to have a hard time saying I would have done it better. Like, you know, I, it, it's, it's a weird thing to do it now. If he was going to say something, He probably should have done it before we got to look at what they look like going into the season. He probably should have done it in the first month or two after. It's just a little strange to me. It's weird timing. You know who I do want to hear from now? Who? Nardi Contreras. Oh, God, we got to get him on the phone. Nardi, how bitter are you? I'm still bitter. (laughs) I'm still so angry. He's like like Steve Buscemi and Billy Madison. Nardi Contreras. He's just sitting on his couch, and he's got a list of people to kill. Yeah. And right now, right now, if Don Cooper called him up and said, you know, Nardi, when I took your job, I didn't understand, but now I feel bad too. He would cross off Don Cooper and put lipstick on his face like Buscemi did in that movie. That's exactly. exactly what happened. And then when Cooper needs him the most, he'd be like, thank God I called Nardi Contreras. <laughs> thank God I called that guy. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.